Hello and welcome to Captivated Audience. My name is Marie Lundberg and I'm joined as always by Sam Sheen, my friend and professional colleague. Hi Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great on this wonderfully sunny, although terribly blustery Wednesday morning. We have a person joining us from literally the other side of the world today, don't we? We do. We're really fortunate to have Gavin Keeley join us from Australia this morning. Hey, Gavin, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. Gavin, can you tell us where are you located in Australia? So I'm located in Queensland in Australia. So that's uh, the top east coast, famous for the Great Barrier Reef. Roughly the size of France and Germany added together, but only two and a half million of us live here. And of course, you're in the throes of winter, unlike the rest of us who are heading into our fall. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you work and what that company does. Yeah, so uh, I'm the CEO of a company called Search365. And uh, yeah, we use uh, basically search engine technology and uh, a whole load of great things from companies like Basis Tech to, to solve business problems. So for the uninitiated or some of our listeners who like to pretend they understand technology, can you unpack a bit exactly what you mean by search engine software? Yeah, so so as I say, with, with search, you can't really mention the search word without everyone leaping to the Google homepage. It just kind of appears in their head as soon as I say it. So, you know, most people are familiar with the fact that, you know, search engines have been around for 20 years now. So, and and we've all been using them quite happily in our daily lives to solve all sorts of problems about plumbing and electricians and all sorts of other things. But um, what we found is that that same capability is normally severely lacking in the enterprise context. So we use search engines to, to solve business problems. Could those business problems be, I don't know, tuned to use for finding people of interest when it comes down to financial crime? Yeah, and that, that is one of the big use cases. So we've got a background in working in national security and um, actually that's where we first discovered basis tech uh, and we've worked in partnership with you guys now for at least the last four years but what I knew I, I've got a background in fin services and you know finding bad people is finding bad people so we we knew that or we could see that the models were very similar the data sets themselves were very different clearly the national security data sets are not available for our commercial customers, but a lot of the models uh, that we actually built there translate very well into the financial services context. So we basically produced a commercial version of our secret product, and uh, we, we've actually been targeting financial services with that. Just so I'm super clear and make sure people understand, we're not talking about something like a Yahoo or a Google search engine, which you know is basically a problematic source for a lot of people doing their KYC for firms. Because as you know, it's mm. like boiling the ocean. Like, if you don't know how to search it properly, you get lots of nothing. So what's special about your search engines? It's funny you should say that, because I often say Google have it easy. They only have to index the internet. Um, our problem's a lot more difficult. We actually have to go inside an organization behind the firewall and look at 30, 40, 50 years of technology malaise uh, in every format, in, in every connotation that it exists. And, and then actually, you know, find the needles in the haystacks in those kind of messes. Similarly, in, in, in our financial services customers, um, we, we found there's been a big shift and a focus now onto more real-time type of things. So 
historically a lot of the sanction screening and uh, AML and CTF and all these other kind of buzzword phrases you find floating around, they had large windows available to actually sift through all of these transactions. And when I say large windows, you know, literally overnight processing or multi-day processing for the money to leave my bank account and arrive in, in, in yours, um, you know, Maria. So they had a large window in, in which to do that. Now, real-time transactions, they've got a two-second kind of window and they need to find out if there's a bad guy in the transaction because if there is, the actual institution themselves can be in a lot of trouble. Gavin, before I pass over to Marie, who's going to ask you the next question, um, for people who aren't familiar with the wildlife in Australia, could you just tell them what's going on in the background and that you're not in a scene from the movie The Birds? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I live in the forest, so, and it is, it's sunset here, so the birds are all just saying goodnight to each other before they actually go to bed. So, yeah, you are getting the, the real experience <laughs> of sunset in Queensland. So there Ex you go. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, Marie, over to you for the next question. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing sitting here in Stockholm and I get the real life experience down from Queensland. Thank you for that. So I need to touch upon the fact that you work in the financial sector beforehand, Gavin, and I do know that you worked with insurance companies as well. And up here in the European region, we have unfortunately seen a lot of frauds and fraudulent behaviors due to the pandemic. How can your solution help in order to search and find people of interest and, I don't know, potential fraudsters? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's a few few things we, we've experienced about that. And as you said, yeah, I, I did work in financial services in, in the UK. I was the chief technology officer for Aviva Insurance for, for the early part of the noughties. And uh, before I decided to move to warmer clients back in 2014 when I left the UK and, and moved to Australia. And even my early years in Australia, I worked in, in the largest insurance company in, in Australia and... Uh, so I, I was very familiar with 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 what was going on there, but but you know the whole COVID thing, we we are definitely seeing uh, rising fraudulent activity uh, in in Australia. People have been given permission to access their superannuation funds early, and therefore a whole load of fraudsters have walked up and pretended to be the people whose pensions they are, and have basically raided people's pension funds and put the money in their own bank account. So yeah, we've we've seen spikes in in fraudulent activity just just as 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 we've seen elsewhere in the world. So what what our technology is trying to do is to basically find those persons of interest, those people who intend to do you harm and uh, and weed those out and um, you know certainly from shall we say, some of the more traditional methods I've seen in that area where there's a lot of um, manually intensive processes or some of, the, shall we say, what I call first generation or the older AML sanction screening technology using normal kind of database technologies to do that. Those systems are still generating massive lists of false positives and just as worryingly false negatives. So Gavin, on one of our previous podcasts, we had a chat with Chris from Basis, and we understand that both your company and his brought together the technology that you have, and it's proven really useful for detecting financial crime or doing some level of investigation. And I hear there's a story that you can share with us, of course, on a no-names basis in terms of the company involved. Can you, can you paint us a picture about what happened there? Yeah, well, well, some of the things which we 
experienced and um you know again we're seeing this it's, it's a global phenomenon australia is is no different to lots of other countries is um there's been massive kind of like redundancies and layoffs and 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 people, um, you know, all of a sudden face with an ability to meet their financial services commitments. So there's one, uh, as you say, very large financial services company we work with, um, and what they actually experienced uh, in kind of like the first couple of weeks of the COVID lockdown, um, they basically had uh, a team of two people who used to take the phone calls every week about I'm having problems paying my, my loan. So they were filled in around about 100 calls a week. Uh, in the first kind of like full week of COVID, that, that same phone number was receiving 10,000 calls a week. So um, whichever way you look at it, that's, that's just a massive increase in, 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 in um, you know, call volume. So all of a sudden, they, they're bringing in uh, new people to man that function. They don't necessarily have any experience of the processes or what they need to do. So, so we, we were trying to use technology to, to help them, um, as I say, get up to speed quickly, find the correct information, and just as importantly, make sure that, you know, the people were genuine and not fraudsters actually trying to pull a, pull a fast one and actually, you know, uh, walk off with other people's money. So what did that look like? So if I'm the user of your technology, again, remembering because people are hearing us, but they can't see. If I was at my terminal at work or at my laptop at home, as the current situation is, what is it that would, would I be seeing or visualizing or how would those results help me to, to do that sort of detection? Yeah, so, so one of the, the things we did, which which um, was with one of our insurance partners, we we actually helped them because they they basically had a an inbound kind of like claims at insurancecompany.com kind of email box that that everything kind of arrives into, and uh, like a lot of other global insurers, had taken advantage of you know. Um, using international workforces, et cetera. So, so, and, and in this part of the world, we make, make a lot of use of, of people in the Philippines. So they basically had a whole load of call centers in the Philippines. So, and this particular insurance customer, they, they basically cornered the market in redundancy protection insurance. So you can imagine what happened to their claims the week that we, we literally had one weekend in Australia where 980,000 people all lost their jobs on the same day. Uh, and, and there were things on the news on Monday morning. There were two kilometer queues outside the unemployment offices in, in all the major cities. And of course, that insurance company, not unsurprisingly, had its largest claims volume in the history of the organization ever that same week. Unfortunately, it coincided with the president in the Philippines closing all the call centers in the Philippines and sending all the staff home. So they were literally inundated with, with requests for help from their customers and didn't actually have a team available to support them in, in, in that initial process. So we had actually been piloting with them some technology to basically read the inbound emails and automatically classify them and go, that's an insurance claim, that's an invoice, those kind of things. Uh, and uh, they've been cautiously kind of like trialing this because, you know, it's artificial intelligence and you can't possibly trust it. 
Uh, and we received a phone call probably three, four weeks after all of this kind of stuff happened uh, from the CIO who said, um, I just basically want to tell you, uh, Gavin, that you just saved our company. And we were like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, and he explained the situation I just told you. And he said, well, we were in the emergency meeting and we kind of all looked at each other and said, well, we've got this kind of AI thing over here. Why don't we just let it rip and see what it will do? Uh, so, um, so from going from a cautious kind of pilot, they put it into production across their entire organization and, um, basically it performed with greater than 90% accuracy, which is actually performing better than the humans who were doing the job before. So, um, and in fact, the, the, the story they, they then went on to tell us about that is even when we get the call center back, we won't have people doing that job anymore. Now, that doesn't mean those people don't have work anymore because there's plenty of other work for them to do. But that particular function, which is the initial triage of their inbound emails, is, is now completely automated using our technology. So we're talking about actually using technology to read documents, to read emails, to process the information, and then doing, as you said, the first triage, sorting that out. This is an insurance claim. This is nothing else. This is something else. So that's what your technology then literally do. Yeah, that's exactly does. what we. That's exactly what it was doing. So, so we did, we were doing that initial triage, four hundred thousand inbound emails a month are going through the platform now in production. And as I say, upwards of 90% accuracy um, to, to, to actually go, oh, that's a medical form, you know, that's, that's, um, that's a claim form, that's an invoice. As I say, all of that stuff, uh, there's a, loads of different categories of information and, and stuff that, that we have to do. Um, but, but that's working so well. But then the next phase of that is, well, well, now you know what it is. Can you actually tell us something about the contents of it? So, so the next phase that, that we're moving into now is we, we can actually open the invoice and we can extract uh, all the relevant details from that invoice. And then so now the next step in the process of, of the data extraction is, is now being automated as well. So uh, and similarly, if it's a claim form, uh, even handwritten content, we're, we're having extraordinary good, good results with handwritten content. And how about different languages? Is the software yeah. handling that as well? Well, absolutely. And um, one of the things, uh, you know, that going back to that finding bad people situation we're talking about. So Australia has seen uh, an influx in, in Asian investment in property over the past few years. And um, like the identity checks that happened right at the very start of the process, um, literally people would be turning up with a birth certificate or identity documents written in anything other than English. And, and of course, if, if you're trying to do some kind of background check where you're not even starting with the Latin characters on the keyboard, <laughs> you know, um, that, that, that has been a big problem for them. So, so the solutions we're putting together, again, powered by, you know, the exceptional linguistics we get with the Basis Tech team, um, allow this to, us to do this not just in, you know, um, just the pure, you know, English and, and the Latin character set, but... You know, we, we can quite happily look at Chinese and Russian and Arabic and all sorts of other, other sources. And again, with, with extraordinary levels of accuracy. So what, what is it specifically then if I'm, because I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. I can totally see the advantage to doing this and you can actually think about what you're looking at as opposed to all the drudgery of picking through things as an analyst. But 
you say it looks at the invoices or the correspondence. What's it looking for? Because, uh, I mean, it claims a claim, right? Yeah, well, well, it, it, it's funny, and this is why we came back to search in the first place, right? If you think about a claim and you're a claim handler, how many different documents do you think that you need to look at in order to go, hmm, is this a valid claim? Is this not a valid claim, right? So the, the very first part of the, the claim assessment process after we've done all the classification of the inbound stuff is, is a claims handler needs to go, well, who is this person? What policy do they have? Okay, now I know there's a policy. Are all their payments up today? Okay, so is the policy in force? Yes, it is. Did the incident occur between the start date of the policy and the end date? Of the policy? Yes, it did. And then start to go through some of the things and say, and is the type of incident that's being claimed actually part of the cover of the policy? Now, everything I've just described there is a find information problem. So the solution that, that we're putting in front of uh, our insurance customers now, so in, in one insurer, a, a normal claim, so this is something that's not got unusual aspects to it, uh, it would take an experienced claim handler 90 minutes per claim to do that initial you know, coverage assessment. Uh, because they would literally have to root around all sorts of information repositories in the organization and SharePoint directories and network drives and emails. And, and literally, they'd have a couple of monitors and they'd have, you know, 15, 16 documents sometimes open on the screen, flicking between them, reading what's on the form and then going into the policy document. And the policy document itself may be, you know, 50, 60 or even 100 pages long going, yeah, where's the terms? Is this actually all on cover? So that's the kind of stuff that, that we're doing. And, and it's, it's, it's that triage. It's that first notification of loss. It's like somebody's had an incident. They're making a claim. Are they covered? It's just trying to answer that initial question. So one of the things we've noticed about some of the fraud tactics, particularly coming out of the United States with a PPP program, is fraudsters will try and swim like salmon amidst the big school of claims that are coming in for relief and assistance, hoping they won't be detected. So in the support you gave, the particular insurer you've described, did you see a lot of that? And did your technology pick up some of those suspect salmon, so to speak? Yeah, well, well, this is kind of like one of the interesting side effects of using this kind of technology. So um, the organization, and again, this, uh, this is not untypical in my experience of working in large insurance companies. There's a quality assurance process, which is basically some senior person with lots of experience, takes a few samples of a few claims, goes back through it and say, you know, was the process followed? Did we do the right things? And, and all that sort of stuff. So this, this one of the insurers we're working with, their, their quality assurance process had a 2% sample rate. So of all the claims they processed, 2% of them would be checked and, and verified. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they bravely admitted to us that they were failing to even meet their 2% sample rate. So um, the side effect of the technology, it, it's auditing and creating all of the records on every single claim that's been processed. So, so now what we've got is a rich data set that's actually been generated because it's not just tacit knowledge in people's heads. It's actually now data that's actually stored and, and we can actually process that data and we can actually start to, to look for, shall we say, subtle patterns uh, in, in the information and start to 
detect outliers and problems that may actually exist that this two percent kind of like QA process would would rarely if ever actually you know hit the target so we've been speaking to a lot of other vendors and a lot of software providers uh, on this podcast as well and I've been asking them a question on how to implement the system solutions. So Gavin, can I get your top three tips on when to buy new technology and how to implement it, how to get that really working as efficiently as you were speaking about? Yeah. So, so again, a couple of things that I've, I've learned. And in fact, I've, I think having been on the other side and been in customer land for many years, right? So uh, my job at Aviva was to make sure we never bought another piece of software again because we already have far too much. So, um, but but the point that, that I was trying to say to a lot of people is, and I've seen this all too often, a, a lot of vendors and, and even sometimes the, the customers themselves, there's these big bang kind of solutions. Oh, if we can only throw it all away and start again, then, then, you know, the world would be wonderful. Well, my professional experience of that is it never works. It always takes longer and costs a damn sight more than you ever expect it will. So what we're focusing on now are kind of like those tricky little bits that are left over once you put the technology in anyway. What are the human intensive activities that, that technology has just kind of like really failed to assist in any meaningful way? So, so if you look at claims processing end-to-end, look, there's, there's lots of technology vendors out there who provide claim management systems, and we're not going up against that. What we're saying is there are certain aspects of the claims process that have these human activities. Let's identify those and then look at how we can use some intelligent agents to support the people to do that work better, faster, you know, more effectively. And, and by doing that, that allows us to get very rapid delivery, very rapid deployment, and, and, and also very rapid returns for the customers. So the, the, the claims triage process um, for, for that one insurer was from start to finish in production in 25 days, right? Now, we've since improved and optimized that process, and we can now do the same thing in five days, right? So... That's five business days and you've got a live solution running in your organization, right? That's not five weeks, five months, five years, which is, you know, timescales that a lot of the large corporates that we deal with are used to. Um, we're, we're talking about meaningful improvements. And that one insurer was seeing an 80% reduction in, in, in the human processing time within a 25-day implementation period. So, Gavin, what I'm hearing from you is what some of other podcast participants have emphasized who, who deal with technology, which is don't try and be the end all of all solutions. Pick a specific problem and try and solve it. But the other side that's interesting is you work in partnership with Basis. And I think that's something a lot of different solution providers are desperately keen to establish, but they haven't quite figured out how to do it. So why does your partnership work between the two companies? Uh, well, it, well, the interesting thing is straight away, I would characterize it as a partnership. It, it's a genuine two-way relationship. Um, so uh, I, I've seen too many kind of like partnerships where, you know, kind of like people sit there at the other end and, and expect basis to provide them with all the customer leads and, all, <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't work like that at all. So, so we've got a, a very symbiotic relationship. And, and similarly, our engineering teams, um, we, we know where you guys finish and where we can extend the capability and where we can add our smarts to it. 
um, but we work very closely with with the engineering at, at basis tech so so if we're seeing issues or, or problems, um, you know, we're, we're working directly with, with you guys to enhance, upgrade, make the products better. Um, you know, certainly when we're working in, in the wonderful world of human linguistics, right, um, there's a lot of variability in grey there, right? And even the human language, uh, you know, the English language we're, we're all using right now is constantly evolving. There's new terms and phrases. Hell, my kids are inventing new stuff every week that I have to keep up with, right? Um, so there's a challenge for the technology to keep up with that as well, right? So we're, we're now expecting, um, you know, and I think my observation is, you know, we've, in, in IT, we've, we've spent probably the best part of the last 50 years in, in the digital evolution trying to teach people how to use computers. Um, the difference is now we're trying to teach computers how to basically interact with people. And, and, and that, is, that is a very different domain to be working in. So that close partnership between ourselves who are right at the, uh, the customer face with the customer, with the problem, with, with data sets that, that you guys may have never seen before, um, you know, languages or phraseology, you know, as I say, we're Australian, right? We we don't even speak the same kind of English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do love a good set of data, don't we, Sam? We do indeed, and we also love stories around collaboration. So I think there's some good lessons learned for those folks who we chat with who say, oh, I'd love to work with this company or that company or collaborate. I think that's that's really painted some good example, Marie, don't you think? I totally agree. And speaking about partnerships and uh, community, I do know that you're part of the Reg Tech Association as well, Gavin. Yeah, we are. So the Reg Tech Association is is an Australian founded entity, but it's it's a global um, thing now. And 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 uh, Deborah is the CEO there. She says I was the fastest ever sign up. It took her sixty seconds to basically get me to figure out that we're a reg tech company. It's quite simple, really, because, um, you know, we're a search company. And, and I pretty quickly realized that regulation is all about search. You know, you're looking, you're looking for things that, that people have done. You're looking for what people need to do, you know, in terms of, you know, are they following the right processes? Did they follow the right processes? Or you're searching for people who intend to do you harm. But many, many of the use cases in, in, in regulation and, and compliance are, are actually search related. Uh, you know, so, so for us, it was a very natural, uh, you know, environment for us to move into. So yeah, I'm a very active member of, of the RegTech Association. We've, we've now also gone on partnered with other organizations in there who are now using our technology inside their technology. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, everybody needs search but not everybody knows how to do it oh well that's brilliant i think on that note marie i think we should let gavin go and enjoy the rest of his evening uh before other wildlife starts to appear out of the forest so uh gavin can i just say on behalf of marie and myself thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today no it was it was my pleasure and uh yeah well, next time maybe we'll do it when it's not sunrise or sunset <laughs> and it won't be quite so noisy <laughs> oh but it wouldn't be the captivated audience podcast if we don't speak of something that's amusing salmon and birds today 
salmon and birds, absolutely. And if you would like to do as Gavin has done and share with us your background wildlife, or if you have any ideas you'd like to submit to us on topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to reach out to us on our dedicated website, captivatedaudience.eu, or you can also drop us a line on our LinkedIn page dedicated to this podcast. Until then, until next time, have a great day, wear a mask, and stay safe.